Good morning. If you have a Bible and want to open it up to Galatians chapter 4, as we continue our journey through this book, learning important lessons that God has for us from his word. You know, one of the strangest lessons in all of God's word, really strange, is that you can be a slave and not know it. Now, that sounds nuts. That just sounds crazy. Based on what we know of slavery, you know, our, our nation's history with it, and anything we've learned about it, it you know, the, you've got somebody who's basically in total control over your life, or something that is so obvious, it seems. How could you possibly be in that condition, be a slave, and not know it? Well, it's because slavery doesn't always look like slavery. It doesn't always feel like slavery, at least not how we expect it to be. You know what's even weirder? This is even more strange. Sometimes people actually prefer slavery over freedom. We actually have a big example of that in our Bibles. You go back to the story of... uh, The Israelites, the people of Israel being slaves in Egypt, and God raises up this guy named Moses and sends him into Egypt, and through all these amazing things, God brings those people out of slavery in Egypt, and as they're going through the wilderness on the way to the land of promise, the land that God had promised to give these people, they start complaining, and they start saying, you know, actually, we'd rather go back to Egypt and be slaves because we like the food (laughs) as slaves. And you're thinking to yourself as you you read this, you think, what is wrong with these people? Are their memories really that short? Why, Why would this be true? How could slavery possibly look more appealing than freedom? Well, hold that thought, because that is exactly the question we're going to be looking at in our passage from Galatians today. It turns out that this mentality, this this thought that slavery would appear more appealing than freedom is not nearly as unusual as you might think it is. In fact, it can happen to anybody including you, including me. In fact, this is one major reason why we even have the book of Galatians in our Bibles. It is a warning. It is a warning against a kind of spiritual slavery that can look very appealing. And we need this warning just as much as the Galatians did. Now let me give you kind of the big picture view here before we zoom in to chapter 4. For some of you, this will be just a quick review. If you're just joining us in our journey, this will kind of get you up to speed. This book of Galatians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to some people who had become believers in Jesus when he came into their region, the region known as Galatia, and he proclaimed to them the gospel, 
the good news, the message of Jesus and who he, who he is and what he came to do and what he accomplished. So these people became believers and then, you know, Paul left town and shortly thereafter, apparently, some others came into town and they taught a very different message. And what they were saying is, you know, if you really want to experience God's fullest approval, okay, believing in Jesus, yeah, that's, that's a good start. But you need to add to Jesus your keeping of the law. All of the regulations and the rules and the rituals that God gave to the people of Israel through Moses. And Paul hears that these people have, you know, been receiving this message and they're considering it. They're taking it seriously. And he writes this letter to them to say, basically, no way. No way. What you're hearing is not the truth. What you're hearing is not the gospel. In fact, it completely undermines the gospel. It's a worthless counterfeit that that distorts and misunderstands the gospel. In fact, it distorts and misunderstands what the real purpose of the law is. What, what gives us God's full approval is not our law-keeping, but being united to Jesus by faith. Jesus fulfilled the law for us. He obtained God's full approval, complete forgiveness of sins for us by dying in our place, by rising from the dead. And when we put our trust in him, Jesus makes us right with God. Jesus gives us his spirit. He indwells us with his spirit. And he brings us into God's family with the status of sons, of heirs of God's kingdom. And Paul, man, he's just been hitting this again and again in different ways, using different words and illustrations. He's about to do it again, and this time he's using the language of slavery. So, chapter 4, we're going to pick it up at verse 7, which is where we ended the last time we were here. So he says, You who have put your trust in Christ, you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son than an heir through God. Now, just to be clear, being a son here does not mean being a male child. It means having the status or the identity of sonship, regardless of your gender, with all the rights and privileges of an heir. So, verse 8, formerly, formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. Okay, just notice, slavery is our default condition until Jesus sets us free. That's the default. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. And here he's talking about some of the, the rituals of Judaism, uh, the, the law, days, Sabbaths, and things like that. And he says, I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. So, 
Notice, notice how Paul describes what it's like if someone decides to add law-keeping to faith in Jesus in order to experience, in order to maintain God's full approval. Notice what he says it's like. It's like choosing slavery over sonship. Jesus sets you free. He sets you free from slavery to sin. He sets you free from condemnation. He brings you into God's family. He makes you an heir of God. And you want to go back to being a slave. What? Why would anybody do that? I mean, that's the question. It really just should jump out at us. Why? Why would anybody do that? Well, clearly, clearly that's not what the choice looks like. It doesn't look like, to the person making the choice, it doesn't look like, hey, do you want to be an heir? you want to be a, a son of God? Or do you want to be a slave? It doesn't look like that. It looks like something else. Something about this, something about this, this thing that Paul calls slavery looks better than sonship. It looks more appealing. This slavery that he's talking about appears to offer some benefit, some pathway to happiness that sonship does not. And because we're all sitting here in our right minds, I hope, we're all thinking, what? That's crazy. That's, that's ridiculous. You're right. It is. It's completely nuts. But before we dislocate our shoulders, patting ourselves on the back, <laughs> that we would never, ever do such a thing, consider this. Is that not exactly what we do every time we sin. Don't we decide, whether we think it all through perfectly or not, aren't we deciding that disobeying God, disobeying the Lord Jesus, not trusting him, aren't we saying that, that doing that looks better, looks like a better pathway to happiness, looks like, you know, greater satisfaction than trusting him? That's exactly what we're doing every time we sin. And it's crazy. Every single time, it's crazy. It's choosing slavery over sonship. So we need to look at this. We need to learn from this warning. You know, God is not in the habit of giving unnecessary warnings. If he warns us about something, it's something we need to pay attention to. So we need to look at this because clearly the choice of choosing slavery is disguised. It's camouflaged. So we want to see how we can strip away the camouflage, strip away the the disguise, the mask, and see it for what it is so that we can avoid choosing slavery. So, here's how I want to ask the question. When would or when does slavery look 
or appear more appealing than sonship. There's a note sheet in your folder, by the way. If you haven't found it yet, you can haul it out and take a few notes if you want, like. When would slavery look better, look more appealing than sonship? Okay, we can answer that a couple of different ways from the verses here. First, slavery will appear more appealing than sonship when we're more concerned about appeasing God than with knowing God. If we're more concerned with appeasing God or impressing God or getting God off our backs, keeping Him happy, if we're more concerned with that than with actually knowing God, spiritual slavery is going to look better. Fallen humanity, okay, that's humanity in our sinful state, we have a stubborn tendency to misunderstand what being rightly related to God is all about. Our natural default is to make being, you know, right with God, to make it all about us, all about our performance, instead of all about God and his goodness. And so what we typically do is we, in, in various ways, we depersonalize God. We, we don't think of him, here's what I mean by that. We don't think of him mainly as a person to be known. You know, the most wonderful person there is whom we should want to know and want to love and want to honor above anybody else. We don't think of him like that. We tend to think of him basically as a cosmic umpire whose only role is to evaluate us and then either judge us or reward us. Now, don't misunderstand. I'm not saying God doesn't judge us. I'm not saying God doesn't evaluate us, reward us, punish us. I'm not saying that. But this is the mentality that reduces down to that's the only thing about God and everything else that's true of him, everything else that's true of him as a person, we just ignore. So look at verses eight and nine. He says, formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God or rather to be known by God. Okay, can we just stop and savor that for a minute. Let God's Spirit speak to you through that scripture. Have you ever wondered what the main thing in being a Christian is? Because maybe you're here today and you're not there yet. You haven't taken that step. Or maybe you're here and you know, you think of yourself as a Christian, but you're kind of confused about it. What is it? What is the main thing about, what is the main thing in being a Christian? Here it is. Knowing God. Knowing God. Before Jesus, you don't know God. After coming to Jesus, you know God. And what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, I'll tell you, 
for sure what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that the moment you put your faith in Jesus, you instantly know everything there is to know about God, and you're never wrong. <laughs> that is not what it means. That is not true. Because God is infinite, there's always more to know about him, and we're fallible, and we make mistakes about who he is all the time. So that's not what it means. What this is, this is the knowing of relationship. That's what this is. That is, knowing him personally, that is, as a person. That is what Jesus died to give us. That is what he died to give us. Now, there's a lot that goes with that. Forgiveness of sins is huge. Obeying him as Lord from the heart. Sharing his love with one another. Sharing his love with this world in desperate need. All of that goes along with it. I mean, being a Christian includes many, many things. That's why the Bible is more than a page. But this is the main thing. This is the main thing, knowing God as a person. And if you don't have that, none of the rest of it matters. And none of the rest of it's even possible. After all, think about, well, what is the point of being forgiven? You know, that's one of the things we talk a lot about as, as Christians is the gospel. If forgiveness of sins. Well, okay, why? Why do we need to be forgiven of sins? To get our sin out of the way of knowing God. Sin is a barrier to knowing God. Holy God, sinful people. Sinful people can't know God without for their sin being forgiven. Or what is the point of eternal life? We talk about that too. Believe in Jesus and having eternal life. For what? Jesus answered that question in his prayer. In John 17, he said, this is eternal life. Father, he's praying, that they may know you. The only true God in Jesus Christ whom you've sent. So the freedom that Jesus died to give us is the freedom to know God. The freedom to relate to God as a child relates to a good father. To know him, to love him, to trust him, to delight in him as a person. Now, if we miss that, if we make being a Christian all about our performance and our achievements, how hard are we trying, how well are we doing, we miss. We miss the main thing. We miss the main thing. That is a preoccupation with self, and that is slavery. It is not freedom. It is not freedom. You know, what, what we're doing, in effect, is reducing down God to a supersized Santa Claus. You know, what's, what's the deal with Santa? He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good, so be good, for goodness sake. And, you know, life revolves around your efforts to stay off the naughty list and get on the nice list and stay there. But why, why does a kid want to be on the nice list anyway? Why do people want to please Santa? 
because they want stuff from him. Nobody wants to know Santa as a person. I never met a kid yet who wants a personal relationship with Santa. That'd be weird. You wouldn't even want to take him to the mall. Nobody wants to know Santa as a person. You know what? We do the exact same thing with God. We just want his stuff. Now, we make it sound better because we call it blessings. We just want his blessings. We want his stuff, not him. We love his stuff, not him. We find our worth, our satisfaction, our sense of purpose, our contentment in his stuff, not in him. So we try harder to keep his rules, because that's how it works, right? If you keep his rules well enough, he'll give you the good stuff. He'll give you all those blessings, and if you mess up, bam, suffering, difficult. That's how it works, right? That, that's it? No. Wrong. Wrong, 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 wrong. That is not the gospel. That is moralism. And moralism is the number one counterfeit to the gospel among church-going people. Try harder. This is moralism. <laughs> Here's a six-word definition. Try harder, do more, be better. Try harder, do more, be better. And so we focus on our goodness or lack thereof. We focus on our achievements or lack thereof. Instead of focusing on Jesus and his goodness and his achievements for us, instead of wanting to know him, instead of wanting to do his will from the heart, not to impress him or appease him, but to know him, to love him, it's slavery. Moralism is slavery. It's not sonship. Okay, so look at verse 9 because there's something immensely important here that validates what I'm saying in case you're sitting there thinking, I don't know about this guy. Okay, verse 9. Really, what I think is irrelevant is what God says that's relevant. So, verse 9. And what I, is what I'm saying true? Look at this. But now that you have come to know God, or rather... To be known by God. Why does he do that? Why does he change the wording so quickly? You see what he's doing? He's shifting the focus off of us to God. It's God that takes the initiative. Knowing God is a result of his initiative, not ours. It's what he does. Entering into a relationship with God happens because of his initiative. Now, we respond to his initiative, but the initiative is his. The decisive work is his. So, to be known by God, okay? There, there's no room for walking out of here going, I know God. Check it out. I know God. You, my friend, on the other hand, do not. No. Why? Because to be known by God is not an achievement. It's grace. It's grace. 
You can impress other people with your meticulous rule keeping and your scrupulous moral performance, but you cannot impress God. You cannot appease God. And if you're trying to, if you're trying to appease him, you're trying to impress him, if you're trying to earn his approval, gain his approval, maintain his approval by your performance, you're choosing slavery over sonship. It looks more appealing, but it's slavery. Here's a second answer. Slavery will look more appealing than sonship when we prefer external appearance, external appearance to internal transformation. Let me say it another way. I'll give you a second to write that down. When we prefer external appearance to internal transformation. Here's another way to say that. <laughs> Looking good is relatively easy. Being good is painfully difficult. Looking good, relatively easy. Being good is painfully difficult. And looking good is what man-made religion is all about. Change, modify your external behavior so it conforms to some religious moral standard, or at least make it look like it does. You, know, you have to wonder why. I, I have seen this over the years. I've seen it true of me. I've seen it true of many, many people. Christian churches, full of people, we find lists of rules and principles and steps. We find them very, very attractive. Why? You know why? Because it makes it seem that being a Christian is simple. Just follow these steps. Just do these to-dos, and you're good. The problem is, and maybe you've experienced this frustration, you keep looking through the Bible thinking, where is that list? I, I want that, where, where are the simple little steps I have to take to be a good Christian? I want to be a good Christian. Where are the simple steps here? They've got to be here somewhere, right? Follow these 10 steps, these 12 steps, these three steps, and you've got it made. And it's not there. It's just not there. In fact, someone asked Jesus one time, I love this, somebody comes to Jesus one time, and they're talking here about, you know, the Old Testament, and this guy says, Jesus, you know, man, this is a big book. Could you just kind of boil it all down for me? What's the one thing I got to do? Tell me the one thing. Jesus says, all right, here it is. Love God with all your heart, all your mind, with all your soul. And there's a second, love your neighbor as yourself. Simple, right? <laughs> Well, in one sense, yes. Easy to say. How about doing that? Loving God with all you are. Loving your neighbor as yourself. That's, that's simple, isn't it? No, it isn't. It's not even close. Come on, Jesus, give me a list. Rule keeping is attractive because rule keeping is simple, but here's the reality. To actually love God with all that you are to actually obey him from the heart, to actually love people is not 
simple. It isn't. This is why Jesus, one of the reasons Jesus kept butting heads with the religious leaders of the day, because they had their lists. They loved their lists. They were all about the lists. And Jesus says, yeah, these people honor me with their lips, with their external performance, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. You know what that means? They worship, it's, it's useless. Why? Because their teachings are but rules taught by men. Man-made lists. And the point is, just modifying our behavior is not enough. Now, do not misunderstand what I just said. Do not walk out of here and say, Pastor Scott said, how we behave doesn't matter. <laughs> I did not say that. I said, just modifying our external behavior isn't enough. Why? Because it doesn't get to the root of the problem. What's the root of the problem? Our sinful, rebellious hearts. That's the root of the problem. That's why our behavior is messed up, because our hearts are messed up. And you can't just deal with the outside. you got to deal with the inside. Jesus said it's not enough to just avoid the act of adultery. you got to deal with your lustful heart. It's not enough just to not kill people. you got to deal with your angry, hateful heart. How in the world do you do that? Go back to chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Basically what he's saying there is, I'm not in charge anymore, Jesus is. And the life I now live in the flesh, in the body, I live, here it is, by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So the battle of lust, the battle of anger, the battle of worry, the battle of selfishness, these are all battles of faith. Learning to rely on Jesus in every area of life. Finding the promises of Jesus superior to the promises of sin. Or, in the words of chapter 5, verse 16, which we'll be coming to here in a week or two or three, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the what? The desires of the flesh. So that, what that's telling us is it's internal desires. That's where the battles must be fought. With the weapons of the Spirit. With the weapon of faith. And it's hard. It's hard. If somebody comes offering you an easy way to do it, they're crazy. This is harder than looking good on the outside. Please don't settle for looking good on the outside. Don't do it. Loving God is not simple. Loving people is not simple. Because why? All right, if you're really going to love somebody, you have to actually know them. You have to know them. Oh, and something else. You have to deal with your inside stuff that keeps you from loving your, you know, your desires and your attitudes and your motives and all that stuff. Yes, and your behavior, but not just your behavior. Actually loving real persons is not simple. It's not superficial. 
But this is what Jesus sets us free to do. This is what his spirit enables us to do as we rely on him, not just follow a list. But see, if that, if that feels too difficult, it's like, well, you mean I got I to gotta learn to rely on Jesus and everything? You know, like when I'm driving and people cut me off? I want to go to work and my boss gives me some stupid thing to do? Or when, you know, I come home and my family's bugging me? I got, I got to learn to rely on Jesus and all that. I got to learn to actually love these people. I got to deal with my stuff. That feels difficult. I think I'd rather settle for the superficial. I think I'd rather just do that. I'll just look good. Don't do it. It's a mirage. It looks like freedom. It looks like freedom to not have to deal with that internal stuff, to not have to really love people and get involved in their mess, to, to learn to walk by faith in Jesus. You know, it looks more free to just stay superficial. Follow your list. It's not freedom. It's slavery. You get stuck in pretending. It's not freedom. You will never know the joy of really loving God, the joy of really loving people if you stay superficial. Freedom, let's just be honest, freedom is scary sometimes. Freedom is hard many times. <laughs> but it's glorious. It's beautiful. It's what Jesus came to give you. So here's the question. Here's the question for all of us. Do you want to be free to really know God? Do you want to be free to really love God and to really love people? Do not go for the quick fix. Do not go for the easy solution. Do not go for the simple steps. Instead, come to Jesus and ask him to do the hard work of transforming you from the inside out. And then, with the help of others who are doing the same thing on the same journey, learn to rely on him day by day, moment by moment, situation by situation. Learn to trust him enough to do what he says from the heart, not to impress him, not to appease him, not to gain his approval, because you already have it in him. In him, you have God's approval. But to know him, to honor him, to savor his glory, to see his glory spread. In other words, to know him and to make him known. That's freedom. Let's pray together. I have no idea how this message is hitting you this morning. I know how it's hitting me. And I want to run from slavery and I want to embrace Jesus who alone gives me freedom. And if that's you today, then whether, you know, if this is, if this is the first time for you that you need to just come to him and say, okay, I get it. I, I think I get it. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm all about me. I'm all about, you know, whether I'm good enough. I'm all about trying harder. I'm all about, you know, feeling depressed because I'm so messed up. I'm all about self-preoccupation. Lord Jesus, set me free from that. Set me free from my sin. It's gross. 
give me sonship and help me learn what it means to walk with you. You could pray something like that today. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. He always keeps his word. Or if you want to talk about it with somebody, then come and talk to me or talk to the person you came with. And may we all just ask Jesus to help us walk in freedom. So I'll give you a quiet moment and then I will pray. Lord Jesus, help us see the freedom you died to give us as a glorious thing. And save us from whatever slavery we might be ensnared in. That we might know you, walk with you, love you, trust you, obey you from the heart. Lord, be glorified in us, we pray in your name. Amen.